The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Glad you could join us for the Big Red Bench. You join us on a day where Ireland were well beaten by England in the Six Nations at Twickenham today. We'll get to Moses' thoughts on that in just a bit. We'll also hear from Marcus Horn on Ireland's performance today. Also on the show tonight, reaction from Cork's defeat to Limerick. We'll hear from Kieran Kingston after the Rebels went down in a high-scoring affair down in Porky Quay. We'll also get analysis on the game from our reporter, Mark Dynan. We're also going to talk to Corkman Matt. Matt Griffin, one of Ireland's best uh, professional motor racers. And we're going to hear from Neil Fenn as well, as Cork City look to shake off their biggest ever defeat last Friday night against Shamrock Rovers. It's an easy one though tomorrow night, heading up to Dundalk in Oriel Park. You're listening to The Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM. Delighted you could join us on the bench this evening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Ireland's performance in Twickenham and what you thought of it. Give us a text 0868104106. You can tweet us as well at Big Red Bench. You can send us a WhatsApp as well if that tickles are fancy. 0868104106. Let us know your thoughts on Ireland's performance today and what needs to change going forward. Uh, tomorrow, we watched this game together today. Uh, massively disappointed with England. I think just the better side, I think, is the simple explanation of it. Yeah, we were well and truly beaten. Um, first half, England totally dominated, yeah. and should have been should have been more really. Um, disappointing aspect is obviously our lack of performance. We were well beaten physically, mm-hmm. but we didn't try and create anything um, through using you know the the loose runners that we do have as well. Um, so yeah, look overall, I suppose very very disappointing. Um, obviously, Farrell. Put his hand up after the game and said, "Look, it's it's my bad. It's, yeah. it's all on me." But essentially, you know, the players have to take ownership as well, um, and what they produce just wasn't good enough. Yeah, we'll hear from Marcus Horn in a bit. Moss spoke to him just before we came on air. So we'll hear that in a bit. But first, Moss uh, going to run up all today's action. And we'll start with rugby, where Ireland's hopes of a triple crown and Grand Slam are over. They lost twenty four twelve to England at Twickenham, and earlier this afternoon, the Irish women's side suffered a disappointing twenty seven nil loss to Champions England in their Six Nations class in Doncaster and in Gaelic Games holders Limerick have beaten Cork 29 points to 221 at Parky Cueve in Division 1 Group A of the Allianz Hurling Leagues Waterford have beaten Galway 17 points to 16 meanwhile and in Tipperary saw off Westmead 327 to 16 points at Tempest Stadium in Division 1B Clare and Kilkenny played out a 119 to 313 draw and Galway sit at the top of division in the Allianz National Football League. That's after hammering Tyrone 225 to 12 points at Tume Stadium. Shane Walsh and Paul Conroy with the goals for the Westerners. Monaghan, meanwhile, are third after just a point behind Dublin after an impressive 216 to 13 points win over Mayo. Conor McCarthy and Kieran Duffy getting the goals for the hosts and Clonus. Earlier on today, Kerry beat Meath 119 to 213 in their Allianz Football League match in Killarney. Captain David Clifford with the goal for the Kingdom early on in the first half. The results means that the newly promoted Royals are still without a win in the campaign, while Kerry have two victories from four games. And in the Premier League, it's currently three goals to two, um, where Arsenal lead Everton. Earlier on today, Wolves beat Norwich 3-0 at the Molyneux, thanks to two Diogo Jota goals and one from Raul Jimenez. Elsewhere, Manchester United enjoyed a 3-0 win over Watford at Old Trafford. Bruno Fernandes getting the first ever goal for, for the club there from the penalty spot. Just before the break, then Anthony Martial and Mason Greenwood found the back of the net in the second half. Yeah, they were cracking goals as well from Martial and Greenwood. And uh, Fernandes looks a decent player as well from the, the bits I saw this afternoon. 
Yeah, it could be good news for United finally. And in Scotland, Celtic are now 12 points clear at the top of the Premiership. The Hoops defeated Kilmarnock 3-1 at Celtic Park. And second place Rangers drew two all away to St Johnston. In basketball, a result from today's Super League action. Singleton Super Value Brunel 74, DCU Mercy 82. And Tyson Fury has beaten Deontay Wilder in a much anticipated title rematch in Las Vegas. He's been crowned the WBC heavyweight champion after the referee stopped the fight in the seventh round. Fury dominated the fight before Wilder's corner threw in the towel. This was Fury's reaction afterwards. 30 times in a row I backed it up people always write me off they look at me fat belly they look at me bald head and they think oh you know what he can't fight he can't punch he can't box he's clumsy you know I toppled the second longest reigning champion in history Vladimir Klitschko in Germany you know bums don't do that bums don't do that I'd me, had me mental problems I had me issues I was out of the ring for nearly three years I came back and I beat him last time on 50% I said this time I said you're not fighting that same old man that was out of the ring for three years I said you're fighting a real gypsy king this time he fought the best Tyson Fury we both fought the best of our primes I'm 31 years old in the prime of my life and so is Deontay Wilder and he got what, he, what I told him he was going to get knocked out and he did get knocked out I didn't uh, stay up to watch this I watched it this morning um, Tyson Fury was excellent helped in no small part I think by um, Deontay Wilder well, obviously it was the major part of the fight was Deontay Wilder burst his eardrum Tyson Fury caught him in a, a, a short uh, right hook and burst his eardrum and obviously when your eardrum is gone you've no equilibrium you've no, you've no balance and it was, it was hard to watch after that because it was only a, a, a question uh, a matter of when Tyson Fury was going to, to, to get the win uh, and, and not if and Wilder's corner probably should have pulled him out a bit earlier um, but fighters in that situation don't want to go out in that you know they want to go out in their shield they want to go swinging basically but I thought um, Wilder's corner should have pulled him out a bit earlier but take nothing away from Tyson Fury that was an incredible performance incredible win and um, sets up a big 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 fight with uh, Anthony Joshua now in the summer wouldn't that be fantastic Wembley Stadium in the, in the middle of the summer yeah, I might get up for that one um, <laughs> Andy Lee as well was involved in, in the back room for, for, for training mm. um, there so look good good on him obviously he's starting his coaching career and great experience for him and look he's probably one of the best in terms of technical heavyweight body yeah. or super heavyweight fighters that we've had as well yeah no I really enjoyed it well I didn't it's hard to say I enjoyed it because as I said I wanted it to be called earlier while he yeah. was taking punishment and by the end he, he just couldn't defend himself in this corner probably threw in the towel a couple of runs too late but fair play to him for battling on with a burst of the drum happened to spike Gus Sullivan in the fight with um, Chris Eubank and he said it was one of the most painful things ever. Just couldn't know where he was. It was just one of the hardest things. So fair play to Wilder for, for, for st- sticking to that long, but it shouldn't have gone that long. Absolutely. And on the golf, where Rory McIlroy remains in contention, heading into the final round of the WGC Mexico Championship later. The world number one sits in a tie for fourth on 11 under par after shooting a 68 yesterday. This leaves him four off the lead, held by American Justin Thomas in Mexico City. All right, cheers to us. Going to get a full-time report from Twickenham and Neil Tracy. England 24, Ireland 12. A huge wake-up call and one that was certainly deserved. Two huge first-half basic errors set the tone for England to build up a lead and it was one Eddie Jones' side were never likely to give up. Just like the meeting last year at the Aviva Stadium, it was kicks in behind the Irish defence that reaped rewards, although on each occasion, Ireland handed England the score first Johnny Sexton overran his cover into the in-goal area George Ford touched down to score on 10 minutes and the second try equally a schoolboy error Jacob Stockdale switching off when England's chip ran towards the dead ball line it didn't reach the line 
Elliot Daly did though and he pounced to score Ireland trailed by 17 at the break but Robbie Henshaw's tries saw them deservingly get one over the line on 50 minutes at that stage the gap was 12 after Sexton pulled his second kick of the day to the left and wide it was just a jab on England though they regained control instantly dominating the next 10 minutes and after Ireland coughed up a series of penalties Luke Cowan Dickey mauled England over the line for try number 3 Ireland crashed over for a late try courtesy of Andrew Porter John Cooney's conversion ended the game but that victory sees England leapfrog Ireland as second in the table France leading the way but a lot for Andy Farrell to think about including a keen Healy injury ahead of the visit of Italy in 13 days it's finished here at Twickenham England 24 Ireland 12 all right, very quickly before we hear from Marcus Hora and Tomas, I mean, like your, your thoughts on the game and I suppose Ireland's performance. Well, I did. I did think England were going to win. Um, yeah. I just you call that last week. Didn't, in didn't think as comprehensively as they did. Twenty-four um, twelve doesn't tell the story of this no, game at all, does it? It doesn't reflect England's dominance. Um, they'd probably look back and be disappointed that they didn't capitalise more. Um, I know Ireland got two two scrum penalties, but they were dominated at scrum time. Um, See Lionel Mall as well. Ireland's Lionel Mall was decimated a couple of times, mm. um, and then just in terms of ball carrying, too laggy. Got over the game in relatively easily, and conversely, Ireland f- you know failed to, to to make any kind of gain line or, or look look any kind of any dangerous at all because they had no subtlety in their attack, no creativity. Um, the kind of different options that they kind of illustrated against Wales um, were, were non-existent, and you probably have to question. You see, Wales were beaten well—well, well, not well by France, but beaten mm. by France. Um, Ireland at home to to Wales—that you know, the, this Welsh team isn't what it used to be. Um, so yeah, look, it's kind of a reality check for for Ireland, really. Um, for a long way to go in terms of creating uh, an attack that can really stress defences. And I know, looking at the, the TV after and, and Raj on the panel, he kind of threw threw it out there that do we like try and really throw the game plan out and yeah. start looking at a game plan a la Japan where we're really trying to stress our skill levels mm-hmm. um, and, and get the ball to width um, make get get ball players to make decisions time after time um, there's a long way to go to that obviously and that would be two three year cycle but um, we just don't have to the pack and, and maybe the physicality to dominate teams anymore Alright and you've been in conversation with a former teammate of yours Yeah I caught up with Marcus Horan um, obviously Marcus at 60 odd caps for Ireland and a couple of Heineken Cups and Grand Slam and a few more Six Nations titles so he's uh, he's well placed to, to discuss um, I suppose some of the problems particularly around physicality and, and the scrum time so it's good to catch up with Marcus and, and these are his thoughts And I'm delighted to be joined by former Munster and Irish prop Marcus Horan Marcus how are you? I'm good, good, Tomas, yourself? Yeah, great. Now, look, um, obviously a disappointing performance uh, this afternoon by Ireland, but um, what did you make of the match and, and why do you think that we failed, um, I suppose, in all aspects of, of our game plan? Yeah, look, it was hugely disappointing, man. I think um, the physicality thing is going to come up again. I think uh, I was in I was in Aviva last year watching England uh, demolish us uh, over in, in that game and and then obviously the preparation game for the World Cup, the fifty pointers, um and then today, you know, when you when you see the, the level of physicality they brought to the game and, and this Irish group didn't seem to have learned from it, you know. That's that's the worrying thing for me, Tomas, is that um, you know, we're trying to and it's not a lack of effort. I mean, I think um CJ Standard probably epitomised the performance here. He's a guy that never gives in, um, keeps battering away and battering away, but you wonder can we play smarter against against physical teams like England? You know when they have 
big packs and especially when they put the amount of forwards they did on the bench you know what they were going to bring today and uh, we just went straight into the eye of the storm which is uh, which is frustrating from an attack point of view and I think you have to question you know what, what is the plan and what, what's the plan when you go into that and what's even more worrying Tomas I think is when you see how France have sorted out their defence um, in the way they do and how quick they are off the line now it's fairly ominous for us in, in a couple of weeks' time, you know. Yeah, just to touch on that physicality issue, um, in terms of, do you think there's anybody that we're not selecting that can add to that? And obviously then, the game plan, do you think we should be playing a, a game plan similar to the likes of Japan, whereby we put more emphasis on skill level to get the ball get ball wider and maybe start using our uh, players with, with who have more kind of footwork? Yeah, look, I, I, I'm a big fan of Andrew Conway. I actually thought Andrew played a good game today in the sense that he, he was probably doing work that we don't know him for, where he was defending fairly well and trying to get involved. But, but when you're skilled like that and, 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 and skillful players, even like Earlsley's on the bench, but, you know, just getting getting balls to these guys and opening up a small bit, um, it's it's more the game plan rather than the personnel, I'd feel, Tomas. I think, I think we have players in the back line that can do do a bit of damage. We're just not getting them into space. How do we create the space? How do we how do we do that? I, I think the, the likes of in England, and you mentioned Japan there. The likes of in England, I think, would not like to play against the Japan. You know that because you know you just don't know where the attack is coming from. The ball is is being moved around. Whereas we were very very predictable today, and that's that's the worry. You know, um, a defence like England just laps that up. They love those one out runners. Those you know. Running, running short lines in into the cover. So, yeah, the the Japan reference I think is a is a key one. You know, they they may have they may have stumbled on something, and it's exciting to watch. But we've we've spent a couple of years now where we're doing this physical stuff, um, maybe to the detriment of some of our forward skill level. You know, and yeah. being able to tip on or to to, to give a to give a, a ten meter pass even when, when into space, so that that would be my worry is to try and change that game plan now. And uh, do we have the skillful players in, in the forwards to do it? Yeah, I suppose in the build up to the, the game as well. Obviously, we knew, like you said, based on England selection and, and the selection of their bench, that it was going to be thrown down a physical gauntlet. Obviously, losing Henderson in the build up was a loss. Toner, like he adds a lot in the lineup, but around the park, he he doesn't add anything. So, would you have? Select him, a and like. Do you think there's a future for him in this Irish jersey? Yeah, look, I, you're you're right. I think I think like for like when you have Dylan on the bench, do do you do you just put leave Devon on the bench and bring Dylan straight in with the, you know the the physicality and a bit more ball carrying, a bit more work around the field in a game like that? I, I agree with you. I think uh, I think you know looking at Dev and he's he's been a great servant coming in from. The call again after being left out of the, the World Cup to say that he's jumped ahead of of, of those other guys. Um, you know, maybe maybe we were taking a step backwards there with 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 um, trying to develop younger players and giving guys a chance. I think Alton Alton is that a little bit more physical, a little bit more you know uh, around the field. And there's a few guys maybe losing out to to um, a coaching staff that are probably used to a lot of the senior players and. There probably needs to be some some big calls as well, you know. Yeah, and I suppose your area of expertise at scrum time. We did win a couple of penalties, but in general, we were we were dominated at scrum time. Even when Ellis Genge came on and Cowan Dickey, and that's when they're also minus Finnapola, who's their starting prop too. How worrying is that from your point of view? Yeah, it is a bit worrying, and I think uh, I think Porter was was exposed a little bit. Um, 
I think, you know, I think Jenk um, was a bit uh, illegal then as well. We found out one of the scrums where he went in uh, at an angle. So, um, you know, for Porter, I think, you know, he, as we all know, he's a guy that converted over from loose head to tight head. And, you know, that's that's still that still raises its head a small bit for him with regards to coming up against big teams. But, yeah, look, the, the scrum was a weapon for us for a while and now it's, it, it's, um, it was exposed a little bit there today. And, uh, look, I, I think I wouldn't read much into it. I think we faded a bit more in the second half in the sense that morale was low. And I think... Um, you know the, the English heads were up and they were they were really go, going for us, um, and I think that can be fixed. I think those kind of things can be fixed. I think uh, I think um, Killer has been a bit more impressive um, at loose head when he when he comes on, and I think uh, he probably deserves a, a full start at some stage. You know, so shaking it up a small bit. Um, for the Italian game is going to be important and look to be honest I think you know yourself Tomas you'd love to see a good reaction from from, um, from the Irish lads now I know it's Italy I'd love if it was if it was France next but you, you really do want to see a reaction from them and uh, and maybe put, put uh, Italy to the sword and give them a chance for this championship, you know, the hope is is you can you can do a job in France and 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 it's in your own hands, you know. And you mentioned Italy. How would, would you push the game? Would you kind of implement many changes? I know Cooney came on at scrum half uh, to move Sexton to to centre. Um, a few lads came on in the pack. Like, well, how would you push this Italy game? And in terms of personnel, would you make changes? Yeah, I think you have to make changes to match. You, you know yourself. I mean, even even back in our day when we were winning, been successful, that you know, Declan Kidney was the man to make changes just to shake things up. I think you got to definitely got to do it now. Um, you know, I was surprised um, the changes are made. I think you know uh, we've t- Johnny Sexton there as captain, but um, you know, I don't think he performed that well today. And then the, the change that was made at halfback, I, I, I don't know whether you agree with it or not, but uh, I was a bit surprised. I mean. Um, you know, I think Cooney Cooney deserves his chance, and I think um, you know he'd probably get a full start maybe against Italy. But I think you need to change a few more. I think you got a you know young Keller. I think needs to be given a chance. I think um, you know even going back to the Devon Donor comment. I think you know you could leave someone like Devon out completely and throw someone else in there. Like you know, I think Alton Deland deserves deserves a chance there. Obviously, Hendo will be back. But, um, you know, I think we should have enough with our so-called fringe players to, to, to put one over on Italy, you know. I felt another disappointing aspect today was the, the manner in which can, we conceded the first two tries. England kind of, uh, I suppose, identified that there'd be space up the middle. And I know, I suppose we were caught by a bounce of a ball for Sexton, but thought Stockdale was a bit passive and maybe could have could have uh, been more aggressive and touched the ball down. Do you think that's a reflection of, I suppose... Schmidt's game plan versus Farrell's game plan and I suppose the meticulous detail that Schmidt would have had versus the more relaxed um, approach that Farrell may have do you think that was those kind of tries were uh, reactive of that? Yeah do you know what it's, it's, it's a great point Tomas I think um, you're dead right that would not happen under under um, Schmidt's watch you know that kind of and, and look to be honest with you Stockdale's was poor but Johnny's Johnny's to be honest with you if he just died at the first time you know he, he, maybe he was saying he felt it wasn't over the line but I think that would have been a you know 50-50 call I'd say more often than not if he just 
flagged that down and uh, and touched it down, it would send it was over the line. And the Stockdale done one was 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 terrible then as well. So yeah, I think that lackadaisical kind of approach to it, um, you know, maybe not lackadaisical, but just just not switched on completely. Um, you know yourself and the reports you get back about Joe Schmidt, that attention to detail is huge. So. You just wonder is, is is have things slipped a small bit with that and, and would those things be tolerated? You know, even Johnny's kicking today, you know, the penalty they had to just calm their nerves, um, three points in the first half and then the conversion as well. Um, you know, the conversion was probably a, a difficult kick, but it was just badly struck as well. And, uh, you know, even his crossfield kicks, they, they, you know, he's normally sharp on those, and um, that that level of sharpness is just is just missing. So, yeah, look, a very very valid point, and and I think something that's, you know, maybe only the players can answer that. You know. Yeah, I think there's a good point about about Sexton's kicking as well. You know, Henshaw's try brought it back to seventeen ten on or seventeen five on fifty minutes, and if Sexton had kicked kicked the penalty and got a conversion, it would have been one point or one score game at seventeen ten. So those little minute details all all make a big difference in the greater scheme of things. I know you mentioned France coming down the line. Um, like I guess this whole Six Nations is brought back around the natural order of things, where you seem to have England and France as the top two. Ireland, Wales, then, and then Scotland and Italy at the back. How worried are you going to be now about going to, to Paris in the last weekend with, with the form that France are in? Yeah, look, I, look, the biggest thing for me is is that um, is that France have sorted out their defence. And if you look at the way we've played today, and, you know, there's very little expansion or, or you know... You, a different way of using the ball. We've we've run hard lines into a tough defence today in England, and uh, you see what what fans did to England defensively, and they just relish that. You know, with Edwards there now, they they just relish that. So if my worry is, is that if we bring that level of attack to, to Paris, we can forget about it. And that's that's the biggest biggest one for me is that we we don't look like we can create anything at the moment um, and in some ways that broken play that that kind of you know maybe that kick over and back until till it opens up it, it could be the way for us to go ironically enough the structure stuff just seems to be too predictive and um, and I think I think France would, would would gobble that up all day. They'd be happy to defend, and and you know they've they've yeah. got class players that can be able to, you know, get the break when when the ball becomes loose and and, and score a try from anywhere. So, yeah, that unless we can sort that out and and we see a little bit of a expansion of attack in in the Italian game, um, yeah, it's not looking too too uh, hectic going over to Paris. I suppose the influence that that Lan- Lancaster has brought to Leinster as well has been much vaunted, um, and that kind of game plan whereby. You're trying to push the envelope on your skill levels and trying to have two two first receivers either side of the rock um, and really push the envelope in terms of how you play. Do you think that's something that Ireland should try and implement into their game plan? Yeah, it's 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 hard. I mean, I think a lot of people say that over the years, especially with the coaches that have gone from Leinster to, to um, the Irish setup, is you know that 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 game plan where Leinster are dominating in Europe and in, in the Pro 14 can we not just replicate that in Ireland so um, yeah you just wonder how that dynamic works you know is it something that that, um, that guys look to bring in in training or whatever but like my biggest my biggest worry for Ireland since since pre-World Cup is that we haven't really created much in attack and you know that was under Joe Schmidt but now also under I suppose Mike Cat is the is, is the guy at the helm with, with the guys to attack so you know with two different coaches um, 
we've seen very little kind of um, exploration in, in how we attack and doing something a little bit different. The box kick is still there. The, the, the one-out runners is still there. You know, we, we just haven't had great strike plays. Um, you know, even, even, even the, you know, when you talk about kicking, when, when a, when a defence is up that quickly, even dabbing a ball in behind, I don't think we saw one of those today, to be honest. Yeah. So that's, that's something that just, you know, just even from a player's point of view, um, and good skillful players like Johnny Sexton or, or Connor Murray, just to even spot that on the pitch and, and dab one in behind, um, you know, that level of creativity or, you know, that allowing guys to, to think on their feet is, is seems to be missing, you know, and maybe that's the hangover from the Joe Schmidt era, you know. Yeah, and of Farrell's first first role as head coach, um, after the first three games of Six Nations, are you confident that he can get this Irish team on the right track? Um, yeah, look, I, I, I suppose on the right track for me would mean that that they can win the last two games. That's 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 really that's the standard that we're at now, and that's what. Our supporters expect is that we're we're going out there to to be contenders for this um, for the Six Nations every year. And I don't, I know, I mean, you made the point of the top two at the moment being France and England, but you know, I think we're definitely at the top table, and, and you don't want to slip away from that. Um, so you know, we we set standards at club level, and and obviously at international level, we've had a bad go at the World Cup. But, you know, I think what you want to see, as I said earlier, is a reaction from these players and a reaction from the management with regards to the next two games that they have. Because, yeah, you you just don't want to be slipping out of it, um, you know, and, and, and a French, like we all, we all enjoy the French being back. But we don't want to see a dominance of, of France and England over the next few years. And I think it's important for us to lay down a marker in the next two games. Good stuff, Marcus. Look, I appreciate your thoughts on rugby. Also, just before I leave you go, um, a quick word on the hurling. I know you're a pro Clare man. How are things going on the Braille Norton there? And, and are you confident of uh, winning a Munster Championship? Oh, I don't know. Confidence. Um, obviously, as a Clannara man as well, um, my club, Clannara, the club, haven't done well over the last few years with, with the amount of good county players we have as well. So, um, yeah, look, I, I suppose we just want to try and get being contention I suppose really and um it's uh it it all depends on how they they react in the first the first game of the championship I think it's um you know league performance um I, I don't think you can ever judge off league performances anyway with any of the, the counties I think you know you ask any inter-county player the it's the championship and the summertime is what they're looking forward to so uh look I'm always excited I'm always optimistic with, with Claire but um you just you just have to wait and see how it falls. But um, I'm I'm looking out here on a miserable day. I hope we get a good summer, a dry a dry track for these guys because uh, there's been some incredible hurling over the last couple of years. You know. So you've more hope for Clare hurling than Irish rugby. Then I think we are in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely from a Cork man. Yeah, but I suppose <laughs> I'm probably put the both of them in the same in the same bracket at the moment. Ireland and Clare hurling. So uh, we'll have to see uh, see how it pans out. Good stuff, Marcus. Thanks for joining us on the Big Red Bench. Cheers, Tomas. All the best. Great to get the thoughts there of Marcus Horan in conversation there with Tomas. When we come back, I'm going to talk to some more Tomas about the game and we'll hear from Andy Farrell. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM. So just before the break, we heard the thoughts of Marcus Horan. So where do Ireland go after this now, Tomas? I mean, like, two weeks now to lick the wounds, I suppose, before Italy. Is it a good thing in a way that they've got that two weeks? Or, like, you as a player, are you raging to go back out there, correct all the wrongs from last week, a week later? Would you prefer to be playing next weekend? 
I think it's nice to take stock. Um, they'll, they'll obviously be hurting um, from the performance today. Um, I suppose there'll be a reaction, obviously, in the media and social media, which the players will be keenly aware of. Mm. Probably get some a, a chance to digest that over the next 24, 48 hours, get into camp maybe Tuesday or Wednesday and actually go through the game and, and kind of pick out what exactly went wrong and, and where the, the team can control. Um, so, yeah, look... I suppose for from a management point of view, I think there will be changes, and the Italian game is an ideal game game to make changes. Um, yeah, at least it's not France. I suppose you're going to exactly um, look. We'll be able to play a lot more expansive against Italy. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to dominate them up front. We'll be able to to get better better launches off off our scrums, off our lineup because we won't be under as much pressure um, that we were against England. But my fear is that fast forward to the 14th of March over in France over in Paris and the final game they're going for a Grand Slam maybe if they beat Scotland mm. then you know they've they've a really tough tough pack they, they've, and they've got really creative and exciting backs so um, I think we'll struggle over there based on this performance as well so we'll use the Italy game maybe to, to give Cooney a start these guys um, probably you, you're not likely to see Toner start again in the second row mm. um, might have Kelleher come in at, at, at two at hooker to give him a start um, so yeah I think it's a chance to maybe give these guys a, a chance to put their hand up um, and most likely we should have come to victory against Italy so those performances might get them a chance to start against France but we'll, we'll not see how good they are or whether they make an improvement to the, to the team until the French game so yeah Big, big concern based on today's performance is just our when we don't dominate teams up front um, we can't get any momentum mm. our attack just goes very flat so yeah um, some, something to look at something to try and address come the Italian game I will hear a bit from Andy Farrell speaking in the post-match press conference I would say off the pace uh, I think uh, I think they, they started pretty well um, no excuses though because uh, they've started pretty well against us before and we should have been ready for that but uh um, you say off the pace I suppose the opposition have something to, 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 to do with that when you're rolling forward uh, pretty well at the start of a match certainly for the first 10 minutes then things start to go your way really for me um, the first half in general um, we was coming here to, to uh, try and win a triple crown and they was trying to fight to stay in the championship and uh, one side uh, for one reason or another we can assess all, all, all the bits really all the technicalities and you know, the ramifications of uh, accumulative errors etc or, or refereeing decisions or whatever but the reality is uh, is that they came out in the box hard um, got on the front foot and uh, and we took a few, a few sucker punches from them and I need to look at myself for that you know uh, were they up for it more? You know, uh, the, the nose is going for a triple crown. Uh, that's that's my that's my responsibility to make sure that that, that shouldn't happen. You know, so I, I've got to look at myself first and foremost. Well, because uh, you know, I asked the players at halftime about having some proper belief. You know, um, about. Uh, how do you get to be at your best? You get to be at your best when you're rolling forward and uh, yeah, you're winning collisions, etc. And 
we came off second best really um, for, for large periods of that first half Johnny, is that yeah, he's uh, very downbeat there is uh, Andy Farrell speaking in that post-match uh, press conference but in fairness he's not shying away from anything and he is kind of fronting up and taking the blame I guess yeah look I guess yeah, as, a, as a sports person as a coach you have to kind of take that ownership when things don't go your way um, and he, like he's not making any excuses mm. there um, he did mention look there's a triple crown on the line the motivation was there um, they just didn't see that performance coming um, look I just think England's physicality really um, especially you know up front and then you know too laggy in the centres as well that just kind of put Ireland under so savage pressure you know mm-hmm. the first 15-20 minutes they were just on the back foot and then when they they, they did have the ball they, they were a bit, a bit panicked um, Sexton wasn't his usual controlled um, you know assured self um, a few of the kicks he had not just from, from place ball but out of hand were, were way off um, his usual his usual kind of, uh, you know, accurate mm-hmm. and, and, and pinpoint levels. But um, so I think just the pressure that England put on compounded the errors in the Irish team and they almost panicked. And, and then when you do go behind, even though it was only two scores, um, you know, they tried to force things a little bit and, uh, and and just didn't work out. So, yeah, look, extremely disappointing. And Farrell, I guess, now is getting his, his kind of taste of, of what it's like mm. to be in the hot seat and when things don't go well, <laughs> I'd say it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tough, tough place to be. That and that England team are huge as well, aren't they? They're absolutely massive. Yeah, they, for whatever reason, any English team you come up against is just <laughs> massive. I guess they have a big pick, so automatically... Breakout houses, I think, yeah. is the technical term, isn't it? Yeah, it's like survival of the, the fittest, the bigger lads generally come to the to four, coming in underage teams, getting <laughs> yeah. selected in academies, so generally they have a bigger... bigger like, like the South Africans too, they're, they're yeah. monsters. So, look, we can't compete with that physicality, realistically, so... I think the, the prior point that we made about trying to change our game plan and actually get teams under pressure with our skill set mm-hmm. um, that's probably that's probably key but it's obviously developing that skill set and, and our skill level to the level where we can push it, push the envelope in terms of game plan so that's kind of the, the next thing mm-hmm. we, we need to be patient if we want to achieve that and I'm not sure Irish people are very patient by our nature <laughs> certainly aren't alright the full time whistle's gone at the Emirates Arsenal beat number 10 Nigel Bidme Arsenal 3 Everton 2 Dominic Calvert-Lewin opened the scoring with an overhead kick in the first minute for Everton Eddie Nketiah equalised on 28 with a first time volley from a Sacco cross five minutes later Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang converted a one-on-one only for Richarlison to equalise by poking home a loose ball right on the stroke of half time but within seconds of the restart Bamiang nodded in Pepe's cross. Everton had lots of chances to level, but it finished 3 2 to Arsenal. Well, says all massive congratulations to the Cork Schoolboys League. They won the SFI Ireland uh, under 15 All Ireland final says They beat Dublin today, so congratulations indeed uh, to that Cork team on their victory today. Another Cork team, though, losing today was the Cork Hurlers. They lost out to Limerick in a very high scoring uh, affair this afternoon. The Porky Cree finished Limerick 29 points. Cork 2-21 in that Division 1 Group A it means that uh, Cork uh, still have a slim chance of progressing to the knockout stage but have to beat Galway next week and have results go their way uh, going here from uh, Kieran Kingston the Cork boss he's been in conversation with our man Mark Dynan at the uh, final whistle yeah look happy with the second half yeah look disappointed with the game obviously disappointed we didn't we didn't win Um 
I thought we stood back in admired Limerick in the first half and we got we were six, seven points down. But it's good to win the second half, but not good enough, and, and that's disappointing overall, you know. To go down like you're six points down at half time, what was the feeling like uh, in dressing room at half time? Yeah. Well, look, um, we felt that uh, um, half time we kind of, uh, in a way, stood back and admired Limerick in the first half, let him play, and we knew we were a lot better than we were playing the first half. I think we showed that in the second half. And Kieran, there was a high free count today. What were your thoughts on it? Well, look, I'd have, I'd have gone and look at it again, right? But I mean, I uh, some of the frees, but it was, uh, I'm not sure exactly. Something was 40, 40 something frees, um, and that's obviously uh, something has to be looked at. If you look at where, where we can see there's so many, so many of them, and everybody knows we're supposed to be a soft team. So for us, conceding that number of frees, I think we have to have a look at it. And some decisions we begin to particularly coming down the stretch there when we, we were appointed to up, and then four or five frees in a row. And the last uh, two minutes, or I think the last six frees went against us. Like, in, uh, I just have to look at those, you know. And just watching the game, even from the press box, it wasn't a dirty game by any means. Well, I don't think any game is dirty with Cork because, as everybody knows, Cork are soft. So we we, we don't, uh, and I mean that sarcastically, you know. And mm. um, so for us to be involved in a game where we're conceding twenty something frees, you have to look at that, you know. And the goals, uh, they must have been pleasing. Like two, the two goals brought you right back into the game. Yes. Yeah, look, they did. I mean. Is something that we have been guilty of in the past. We're not, we're not um, uh, scoring enough goals. I think the last few games we've been, we've been uh, getting a few, and that's good. And today we had another couple and brought us back into it, and that was, that was pleasing. I suppose it's difficult to gauge where you're at at the moment with UCC lads just coming back in today as well. Yeah, look, it, I suppose it is to a degree in that it was a first. We've just had them together now this week and they're after their own campaign. But um, we've full squad back now. Some injury, guys come back from injuries. And uh, the league is, we're learning a lot from the league. We learned a lot from the second half. We learned a lot from the first half. But disappointed we didn't get the result. And Colin Lehan, he came, came on there in the second half. Alan Cadigan, is he closer at all? Yeah, Alan is good. Alan is nearly back. Alan will be back next week. Uh, so that's, uh, that's a positive as well. Galway away, I know, next week. You have to win that one. And like, it's kind of, it'll be touch and go. You reach the qualifying stages now. Yeah, ex- look, I don't think much changes about that game. If we won't, even if we got a victory today, that game would um, would be we'd be looking forward to get a victory to get into the semi final. So uh, that nothing has changed in terms of our plans for the game. We we need a win now for a qualifying, not a semi final. So nothing has changed. Yeah, big uh, task uh, facing Cork as they go to Galway next week. We actually just saw the goals there in TV. Two cracking goals from Kingston and from uh, yeah, Walsh. Yeah, unbelievable goals. Walsh is one in particular the way he took the ball down and just found a narrow gap and just put it into the back, and it was spectacular. Yeah, and that gave Cork momentum and and kind of put them ahead in the game. And you can hear the disappointment and frustration in Kingston there that when they did go ahead, that. Limerick seemed to get a few different soft frees and, and the rest of the momentum back and just got a good note there for myself if I ever do interview Kieran Kingston definitely don't mention Cork as being soft or perceived as soft <laughs> he, he's not happy <laughs> with that is he? certainly not um, <laughs> but yeah look it's it's mad how you you, you know you give the dog a name and yeah. it kind of sticks and um, it's obviously something that definitely definitely grates um, with with Kieran Kingston alright uh, Mark Dylan covered the game from us and uh, I spoke to him uh, after the game yeah right joined on the line now by uh, Mark Dylan who is in Parky Cree for us today I suppose Mark that was about the two free takers today, I think, was it? Yeah, definitely, uh, Rory. It was uh, a lot of frees in the game today. I think it was like forty plus frees given in the game today, uh, and it wasn't like a, it wasn't a dirty game by any means. Uh, it was very stop start. Uh, for anyone who watched uh, Dublin Wexford last night, it was very similar. Like there was a lot of frees, kind of it was soft frees given. Uh, so there was no real real flow to the game. Uh, it was very stop start, but. Both free takers very accurate. Uh, 
Patrick Horgan ended up with 17 points. Uh, was it, I think it was 15 of them for, were from uh, Place Ball. And Aaron Gillan, then in the Limerick side, uh, he ended up with like 13 points, 11 of which were were from free. So, yeah, I definitely uh, a battle of the free takers today. But um, a very a very spirited second half display from Cork, I must say. Yeah, I was going to say, overall, what was Cork's performance like? Yeah, a, a game of two halves, I suppose, the classic cliche. First half was very flat. Uh, Cork couldn't really get going at all. Uh, six points down at time. Limerick possibly, I'd say, were feeling at half time. There should have been more ahead. Uh, but Cork really got back into the second half. The two goals, um, Shane Kingston's goal first at uh, 42 minutes. Um, it brought it back to a one point game. And then uh, Aidan Walsh, he came on at half time as a substitute. He took his goal really well as well. Uh, and for 53 minutes, it was a, a long, uh, long range three launched in by. Uh, Patrick Horgan and uh, Aidan Walsh Garrett and smashed into the back of the net. Really good finish. Uh, so there was like just over 15 minutes left uh, at that stage and Cork were ahead at that, uh, at that point of the game. But um, in the closing stages, Limerick got six of the last uh, eight points uh, to see it out uh, in the end. But um, very spirited second half and I think Kieran Kingston will be really pleased with the second half display in particular. Yeah, we were speaking about this on last week's show. The Cork trying to find consistency has been their thing. I mean, like, it is hard for Cork to find, I suppose, a consistent uh, 70 minutes, isn't it? Yeah, and I suppose that's going back a while. Um, that's going back to previous managers as well. It's that level of consistency. Cork uh, it can't seem to, like, string probably three, four really good performances together. Um, good win against Tipperary but then last week Westmead I know the conditions were horrendous but uh, you know it was kind of a patchy display as well and today as well it was good and bad kind of a mediocre first half really good in the second half you know it's, it's that level of consistency I think that um, the Cork just have to find and uh, it's dating back a while really but uh, it's I think it's difficult to gauge where Cork are at at the moment because uh, like the, you had the UCC players, the six players that were involved with UCC, the, they all came back in only today. Um, you had players coming back from injuries. Well, currently Han, he, he, he's, he came back in today. He, he went off injured last week. Uh, Alan Cadigan, he's going to be back for the Galway game next week. So it's different, I suppose, at the moment, the gauge where, where Cork are at. Um, next week, big game of Galway now next week. Have to win that to have any chance of progressing to knockout stages. And I suppose we'll have to rely on other results as well to... To, to, to get into a qualifying spot yeah certainly so I'm heading up to Galway I suppose never any uh, never an easy task really but with that added pressure on next week it makes it all that uh, trickier yeah and it's a must win game uh, Galway have been very hit and miss as well um, they, you know they haven't really been uh, in, on, on really good form either like and t- you look at today's game we were playing Limerick who were probably the, the, the form team in the country they really have gotten off to a flyer in the league uh, so Galway next week difficult to, to what kind of a test that's going to be because Galway have been very hit and miss in this league as well mm. uh, so far but um, you know it's 11 weeks now to the uh, Munster Championship game uh, against Limerick here in Park Eve and uh, you know I think Cork would need to get into a knockout uh, they'd need a couple of more games in the league because like if we so if we if we don't get the result next week in Galway that's a 10 week gap to the I know the players will go back to their clubs then but it'll be a 10 week gap to the uh, to the Limerick game and uh, so I think Cork could do with a, a game or two more um, really before the Munster Championship kicks off and like that's going to be a cracking game here in 11 weeks time 
uh, Cork and Limerick that's going to be one to really look forward to yes yeah, certainly we'll be looking forward to alright Mark Dine and Donna Parky Grieve thank you very much indeed no problem Rory that's Mark Dine who covered the game for us and that is a good point that Mark has made that with the long gap I suppose it'll be 10 weeks from next week um, until the month's championship starts getting into the knockout stages will be vital for Cork wouldn't it yeah, I didn't realise there was that that mm. big a gap. Um, that certainly would 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 be a big disadvantage compared to the other monster teams who'd be more battle hardened. Um, mm. Look, I know they'll probably get together for three four weeks intensive training and and practice games. All right, but yeah, look, preparing to to meet Limerick, you know, in the in the first game of the of the monster monster championship or the monster. Uh, round robin or whatever you call it these days um, yeah, you'd, you'd want to be battle hardened and, and I suppose not only that but have your best team be pretty certain of your best team you know the UCC lads are just coming back there's a few positional changes and, and kind of experiments that they've been working on um, you want to be certain of, of of those lads whether you're going to persist with those um, you know they got to the stage last year where um, you know we're bringing guys in out of the championship who weren't in the championship yeah. panel and, and starting them in in Munster championship games so um, just from that point of view alone uh, you know getting getting make sure of your personnel and, and being as close as you can um, uh, to your starting 15 as possible so look hopefully we can get the win over Galway and hope it does go our own way but um, it's, it's probably unlikely at this stage fingers crossed anyway alright we're going to wrap up the show by talking motorsport and uh, Ryan's been speaking to Cormac Matt Griffin who's Ireland's top performing professional racer and who's uh, performed at the Le Mans 24 hour race as well he's the only Irishman to ever step in the Le Mans podium to here's what I have to say about his career suffer so I'm delighted to be joined on the line now all the way from the UK by Ireland's top professional racing driver and Cork native Matt Griffin how are you Matt? I'm very good, Ryan. Happy to be on the show. Great stuff. Good to have you. An impressive career. Um, I t- it took a while to read your CV, I won't lie. There was so much on it. Um, I suppose before we get into all that, Matt, would you mind just taking us back to how you got into racing and what made you want to pursue a career in it? Well, I think I think it comes back to, um, you know, most, most young boys are into cars and, and I was no different. And my father came back one day with a go-kart and, uh, yeah, it, it all started in Watergrass Hill, really. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, just like that. And you'll find that a lot of professional racing drivers, the majority of them, will start in go-karts. So we headed up to Watergrass Hill, just my dad and I, and a trailer and a go-kart. And it started from there. And we realized that I was, I guess, pretty good at it. And uh, started to then race around Ireland. And when I was younger, won quite a lot of championships and races around Ireland. And then ended up doing the say, the World and European Go-Kart Championships. And then the kind of natural progression from that, if you have the opportunities, is to uh, end up in car racing. So that's what I did. And uh, started in kind of 2000, 2001. Um, I did the British Formula Renault Championships and was teammates with Lewis Hamilton. And that's kind of where my motorsport career got going and, and kind of put me on a trajectory to where I am today. Okay, so you kind of had the love of it from the young age, and like you say, you start off in karting, and you you grab. I can't imagine though; it's 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 not an easy sport to break into, I suppose. Let alone kind of thrive and become successful in, like you have. Yeah, it's tough. It's you know, a lot of sports. You look at football or rugby or anything like that, and your talent will will carry you through most of the way. Unfortunately, with motor racing, it's not really like that. You need to have the opportunities. You need to have the funding behind behind you at the start particularly to get going and you know I was lucky enough to have support from my family I mean my dad was fantastic and uh, you know 
had a lot of sacrifices to to get me going in the sport, and there was a lot of uh, you know Cork natives who who supported me through the early part of my career. As uh, Eamon McSweeney from um, out near Cove, and, and another guy Jerry McCarthy, who kind of got behind me, um, helped me financially to to get going, and particularly in the early days um, in car racing when I was in the UK, trying to you know it is a situation where you you need the funding to keep going. And then you're just waiting for that break to come. And luckily for me, in 2003, I got uh, a call from a, a Porsche racing team who asked me to do the British GT, GT Championships. And that was my first proper professional drive. And uh, it worked out well. We won that championship. So in 2013 was my first time winning a, a kind of major international championship in the British GT Championship. And then luckily had a few other opportunities and I guess decisions I made to go the right way and to, to build a career within endurance racing. And, uh, yeah, 13 years I've been racing, uh, with the official Ferrari factory team. So, uh, yeah, um, you know, I feel privileged and there was a lot of, you know, I suppose sacrifices along the way, like there is with any professional sporting career and, uh, a bit of luck and, and a few right decisions to, to get me to where I am now. It's interesting, isn't it? Because everyone sees you obviously behind the wheel, you're kind of, the, and, and the talent behind the wheel, of course, but there's a lot of kind of moving parts and that, like you say, a big team effort behind the scenes. Oh yeah, it's massive. I mean, even, you know, from myself personally, you know, I've got a, a team of people looking after me from my physical side to um, the management side, even from the logistics side of things, um, I'm based, as, as you said, in the UK. Um, I'd love to be um, back in Cork, and, and I did come back for a couple of years, but I I fly so much. I mean, I think two years ago, I had 286 airline flights, and by living in Cork, it basically meant I, I was spending, you know, another kind of 30% in, in airports all the time, whereas the UK is just a good hub because I race all over the world. So that's the, the reason why I'm, I'm based here back in the UK, although I do still have a house in Ballancolig and try and come back as, as often as I can. OK, because I was just about to say, I read earlier, in the past five years, you haven't competed in less than 30 races per year, which is astounding. I, I work, It works out at about a race every 12 days. So like, it's safe to assume that the passion for racing hasn't dwindled over the years for you. No, I mean, it, you know, at the end of the day, Ryan, I'm lucky to be in a situation where I, I kind of, I do my hobby and, and what I love to do for a job. And I don't think there's many people in the world can, can say that. And the good thing about motor racing is that, you know, you, your career in, in the side of motor racing that I'm at, so I do endurance racing. So primarily the biggest race we do would be the 24 hours of Le Mans, but you can have, you know, quite a long career. Um, to the point that if you look after yourself and keep fit, uh, you know, you can go on, you know, right into your mid-40s, I think, and be competitive. And I race all over the world, um, you know, basically, you know, race on every continent and, uh, yeah, 30, 35 weekends a year kind of on max is, it's a big commitment, but, you know, it's, it's what I love to do and it's, I've kind of devoted my whole life to it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a hardship, really. Correct me if I'm wrong now, but I would presume that 
uh, a lot about racing is about the mind and being mentally fit and clear on what you're doing. Could you talk a little bit about that aspect of the sport when you're racing? Like how like how trying is it mentally? Because obviously you've to you've to, there's a lot of moving parts probably when you're when you're going at such speed and you've got to get everything right. Like what 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 are the mental aspects of racing? Yeah, I mean it is all mental really. There, there's physical fitness so. In the endurance racing, what I do, I burn typically about a thousand calories an hour when I drive. And at Le Mans, uh, there's three drivers. It's the Le Mans 24 hour, and I we do typically up to three hours in the car at one time. But the it's the mental strain really that takes it on you because you know you you know you're playing hurling or something, and, and you're you're sitting on the sidelines, and the coach says, "Okay, you're on." You, you get a bit of time to warm up and and stuff like that. Whereas at Le Mans, you could be you know, sleep in the, they give us uh, like motorhomes or stuff to stay in. So you can sleep in your motorhome, you get a knock on the door and within 10 minutes you go from being asleep to being asked 300 kilometers an hour. You can't, you can't get in the car and kind of warm up first. So you've got to be on it. And that's then where the physical fitness comes in. So I train typically three to three and a half hours a day. And some stuff is, is, racing specific to do with your reactions but a lot of it is just you know grinding your cardio to make sure that your body is fit so that when your when your body starts to get fatigued you're fit enough that it doesn't start to fatigue you mentally because that's when mistakes happen it's always you know the mistakes happen at four or five o'clock in the morning at Le Mans where guys are tired and you know at 300 kilometers an hour you know, point two five of a second misjudgment can mean you crash and you're out of the race. So the the mental thing you're you're bang on with that is where it's uh, that's really where it's at, and you have to be really sharp mentally to to compete at the highest level. Is would you say is fear a factor at, when you're driving at such speed? You're obviously used to it now. Maybe when you were starting off a bit more, was fear a factor for you, Matt? Uh, you know, only fear of failure, Ryan. Really, you don't as as a driver, you you don't really think of the dangers. Of course, the dangers are there, and you know, a friend of mine was killed um, in a race that I was doing in 2013, and you know, a couple of years, uh, a couple of guys get killed every year, let's say. But it's for sure, motor racing is far far safer than it, than it has been in the past. I mean, when you if you go back to the history of motor racing, it was. You know, if you crash, you die, whereas now you don't. But it's not something you, you think about. The only fear I have is, you know, the fear of being beaten by another driver, really, um, <laughs> which is a good thing, and that keeps you on your toes. And you just absolutely drive the car as hard as you can every corner of every lap you do. Yeah, fascinating stuff there from Cormac Matt Griffin. We'll have part two of that interview on the Big Red Bench next weekend. Just before we wrap up, going to hear briefly from Neil Fenn speaking at today's uh, pre-match press conference as Cork's look to bounce back defeat the Shamrock Rovers as they go stunned out tomorrow as a football manager and as a, as a manager I think you just you come to terms with defeats and highs and lows and you tend not to get too high about things and too low about things so certainly I've had I've had bad nights that was a, that was a bad night don't get me wrong but I think that you know sometimes you have to put things in perspective sometimes you have to look at the positives especially with a game so close on Monday mm. um, and we have to pick ourselves back up and no time to dwell on it what were the positives you took from Friday night? I thought for the first before the first goal I thought we were if not the better team, certainly, definitely in the game and, and definitely causing them a lot of problems against difficult conditions. You know, I thought we played well. Um, our intensity was good. Our passing, our creating chances was good. The first goal um, knocked the boys' confidence a little bit. A lot of the boys' heads dropped. And for I think for, for a, probably a 10-minute period after that, 
we we let ourselves down a little bit in terms of what we've been working on all week and and that was disappointing that was a disappointing obviously the second half you can make it a second half what you want you know we've told we've, we've chose to, to 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 forget about it um it was it was bad all over the park but when you're two new up your shamaros are two new up you've got you're, you're not defending a, a goal really because you've already got a two goal lead you've got an extra man you've got players like they've got it was always going to be a difficult night yeah, it's Neil Fenn there speaking after uh, the uh, defeat of Shamrock Overs. An easy one tomorrow night, Tomas, as well, going to uh, to Dundalk. Nice and easy one to bounce back from. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, travelling away from home as well. Um, it's a grand one. Look, if they were coming back to, the, to, to Turner's Cross, you might give them a half a chance. But 6-0 yeah. um, when you're beaten that, that, that comprehensively, um, look, I think there's question marks as to, I suppose, the ability of, of, of the players at the moment. Um, and look, trying to assemble a team um, on a budget, on a shoestring budget is mm. difficult. So look, the emphasis uh, emphasis is on this is on you guys now uh, to make the right decision to give <laughs> yeah. it the takeover, Rory. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. We might discuss that a little bit more next week. We're out of time. Uh, thanks very much indeed for tuning our way. Grab our podcast online, redextra.ie, and wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, Alan Donovan's up next with Green on Red enjoy the rest of your Sunday Fox The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM